This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. You are tuned into the Constructionist Podcast, and tonight we are continuing our series on cults. At the Constructionists, we encourage a worldview that is built on the principles of Christ. And in this episode, we're examining evangelicalism through a clear and honest lens. Next week, we are talking about the occult for Halloween on the 26th. There is a difference between the cult and the occult. And so next week, we're doing that for Halloween. Well, by doing this, this series on cults, we hope to offer insights and perspectives that will help you in your own journey of a greater understanding and love and compassion for yourself and others. We want to assure you that in tonight's episode, we will not be fabricating anything. When there's data, when there's research, when there's examination, we're going to tell you where to find it. And if we're guessing, we're going to tell you that we are guessing because our goal is to provide an honest and authentic perspective on what we're talking about. So this is our thinking space where we present ideas and thoughts. And tonight we're making our best attempt to explain very practical theologies to live by. So if you enjoy the Constructionist podcast and want to support us financially, please follow the the link in the chat or show notes on the social media platform you're listening to and visit our Give page. So your support will enable us to continue producing high quality content like this. But even more importantly, we want to hear from you and engage with you. We believe that through our interactions and discussions with listeners like you, we can learn and grow together, developing a communal hermeneutic. We value your feedback, your questions, and your ideas, and we're excited to have a shared exploration of perspectives. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us and let us know what you think. So Sharia, good evening. Jake, good evening. We are talking about evangelicalism tonight, and we have to be very careful because all of a sudden people are taken back, like, what do you mean evangelicalism is a cult? Well, last week we explained a few things that when talking about these subjects, you could definitely have a cult community or a cult that actually forms into a body of people or a body of believers in those ideals or in that perspective. They are a cult community. But you do have cult philosophy where there's philosophies rolling around that eventually form almost like just galvanize into communities or just into different sex in society where this certain people group will branch off into this type of thinking, let's say an alt-right group or a fundamentalist evangelical group. So there's groups of people that begin to buy into or believe in cult philosophy. So last week we talked about Christian nationalism as a cult philosophy. And if you missed that, go back, listen. It's a great podcast. Really enjoyed doing that one. And I think I'm really going to enjoy doing this one too on evangelicalism because I come from an evangelical background. When I became a Christian, when I became a pastor, when I started into the church in leadership, I was an evangelical. 
I didn't think anything of, of it, that there was any other option for me as a Bible-believing, non-denominational Christian church pastor. I was evangelical. And so that journey down that road, but also some different ideas and different thoughts and different, well, then I would say tragedies and different all of a sudden political climates and stuff began to emerge in society and culture as I was leading that made me question, deconstruct, deconstruct some ideas. And I've been in this mode of deconstruction for quite some time where I've looked at what I've taught, what I've believed and what I've taught, what I've taught other people to teach. And now I question it going, that wasn't the very best thing to be teaching or teaching others to teach or even believe. So my hope tonight is that we will cover this topic of evangelicalism as a cult philosophy, show you how it can be a cult philosophy and what branches of evangelicalism are definitely cult philosophy, or I would say just a full-blown cult. So first we're going to define and go back to our definition of cult Sharia has our working definition. So Sharia, just take it from here. Tell us what a cult is and some working definitions. Right. So dictionary definition of a cult is just a system of worship that is, or a religious system that is organized around the worship of some deity or something. So nearly all maybe all, I'm not positive, religions fall under that textbook definition of cult. Um, but when we use it in a derogatory sense or that kind of thing, it's referring to um, a, um, a religious movement, usually, um, that's, um, goodness. Centered around. Uh, Yes, centered around high control Good. groups, um, as well as um, following a charismatic and often narcissistic leader. So a working definition would be high controlled, centered around one person <laughs> or a group of few people or that idea. are controlling narcissistic and behavior, charismatic, maybe just puts on a big show or has a lot of yep. flair around them and and, and, you know, in their presentation and such, and then people begin to follow it because it becomes very believable. I, di I just want to say one thing, though, before we continue. If you have found yourself ever in a cult, or if you've ever found yourself, because I know people that have been involved in cults and have gotten out of cults and they just feel duped. They're just like, are you kidding me? I can't believe me, educated me, you know, aware me, <laughs> psychologically sound me would actually get sucked into a cult. This is why we're going over cult philosophy because I think that it starts with a philosophy that starts rolling around, swirling around society, whatever that philosophy is. And it's very easy for us because of tragedy or because of 
just wanting something different, um, as simple as that, just wanting something, a change. We are going over this series because right now there are, are a lot of Christians that have deconstructed their faith, pushed the church away, de-churched themselves, just gone, you know what, I'm sick and tired of this. And when you get sick and tired of something and you're not in it for reform, where you're just digging in, trying to make change or transformation of some kind, when you just bounce out, I start looking, you start feeling around, what else is out there? And some things just might be a little more attractive, you know, than what you were involved in before. Not to say that you should go back to that place you were before. Maybe you need to spend time away from that place for a very long time, even the rest of your life. But yet, what are you entering into? And to define what you're entering into or what you're going to join or being very aware of what you're joining, is really important sneaks up on us and i think that evangelicalism is an example of how the majority of people 76 percent of the 660 million evangelicals out there are just christians you know they're just people that are wandering around going to church on sunday maybe you know 1.5 times a month and they they attend their sunday school classes possibly if they get there early enough and they like the band and they like the preacher and it doesn't seem like it's harmful and that's 76% but then the 26% or the 70 74% but the 26% gets sucked into like a different form they begin to this be drawn into maybe a more fundamentalist form where it becomes very oppressive to people groups or very white national or very just male centric or just purity centric. And then we, we end up following a set of ideals and philosophies that truly become damaging, toxic, and honestly, culturally damaging and toxic, uh, where it can affect religion affects the world. And if you don't, if you don't believe that, look around right now just kind of look at the world stage right now and see how religion over a long period of time has affected the world so even cults affect the world all eyes all of a sudden uh, moved on guyana and jim jones of that era all eyes moved on to that person wow that is a international tragedy not just a national tragedy even though it wasn't like the, uh, that many people on the world stage. It was a lot of people, but not like, not like a hundred thousand people. So, so religion affects the world, and we need to pay attention to how the religion religions affect the world. So, Jake, what we'll go, is go back to that as well? I yeah. think there's nothing wrong with you if you got duped by a cult. Oh no! <laughs> and so it just no. happens. I think that we are. We are biologically made up to feel good when we're in this type of setting. These these promises, the security, mm -hmm. the community, everything feels really good for a while. And then it feels really bad. Right. And so there's nothing there's nothing wrong with you if you have ever found yourself in that and got yourself out of it. There's there's definitely very signature ideas of cults like like paying your way to the next level or paying for like large amounts of money for classes and things like that to take. And that seems very academic. 
and it seems very right. Well, I take this class, I pay for this class, or I go, I must be getting something out of this. Um, there's different forms and methods of cult uh, behavior. <laughs> like MLMs make... are, are technically a cult. Right. People have mm -hmm. deemed them cults. Yeah. Well, they're, they're um, by all, and... by all intents. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I get what you're saying. I control How's charismatic leader. <laughs> How's your day <laughs> going? Million dollar cult, day, living the dream. Yeah. Right. But like, like it seems very reasonable. So there's things that seem very reasonable because we do and perform this behavior elsewhere in our society. And so we go to university, we go to a university, we pay for classes. So we join this religious group and we pay for classes, uh, so seminars and things like that to get to like next level gold stars on our poster board attendance sheet. And so, so we need to, we need to really be careful. Mm -hmm. Um, and evangelicalism Definitely. has some certain, certain signature markers that definitely push it into cult philosophy. So Jake, talk about what is evangelicalism because there's different forms and different ideas behind it. But we have to be careful, um, talking about like definitions and words, words mean things. Words are important. Yeah. And so our our connotation of evangelicalism in society is actually more fundamentalist than evangelical and that there's a term called fundamentalist evangelicalism and that's where you have, there's a mishmashing of the two and pretty soon we're going to go over the history of like of why that happened and when that happened but uh fundamentalism is the idea that that things have to be a certain way or else you are not in that group. Mm -hmm. And so some pretty strong ones like uh, the Amish would be a fundamentalist group. I think you can clearly see who they are. If you don't act, dress, behave, produce the same way, you're mm -hmm. not, you're not allowed into that community. And so <clears throat> even and the opposite, if you start to, you know, move away from the community, then you are kicked out of that. You're an anthema. You're, 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 you're pushed out. Mm -hmm. Right. And so during, during the ages though, these, these two groups, because there were more normal fundamentalists, I think societal, societal normal fundamentalists than just like Amish style, but evangelical, like they started to come into the evangelical church and uh, I need to skip ahead of the history a bit, but during 9-11, fundamentalism, especially with, with Muslim fundamentalism, got a bad name. And so many mm -hmm. of the fundamentalists dropped, dropped the word fundamentalism and moved to just evangelical. Because most Christians find themselves in the evangelical camp. And there's, there's this thing called the quadrilateral of evangelicalism. So for four squares of evangelicalism and they are conversionism, biblicism or biblicism, crucicentrism and activism. Conversionism is the idea that you have to personally go through a conversion. And this is in opposition to a com community or communal conversion or a or the king telling you that you must become this religion. 
that it's your own personal choice. Um, there's a debate whether that's a sudden or that is a, is a gradual conversion, but everyone has to have this, this idea of conversion. And within evangelicals, then there's multiple different conversion points and there's first conversion and second conversion. There's the indwelling of the spirit, there's baptism. And when, when does conversion actually happen? Mm -hmm. That's, that's when we fight about these things within evangelicalism, but every, every evangelical has the idea that there is a personal conversion or turning to Christ. Shreya, did you have a question? So that would also be a reaction against child baptism or child. um, Yeah, I guess just baptism, right? Would that be accurate? mm, Or infant, infant baptism. That's what I wanted. PD baptism uh, is what you're saying. Like, like child baptism, like seven days after uh, birth or whatever that the child's because it's about personal choice. It's about personal choice. And so, yeah. Well, I would say that happened a lot, a, a long time ago with Anabaptists or Rebaptists, where, mm-hmm. you know, they were rebaptizing people. So yeah. I guess in the evolution of evangelicalism, the adoption of some of these ideas forward, I guess, would be a an idea that has emerged in the evolution of it. They're pulling things that they thought were the right way or or added to their personal tenant like conversionism mm-hmm. well personal baptism is of an adult is a more personal conversion than paleo baptism yeah and so, so that's adopted in yeah right but it also go ahead um the importance of a personal testimony and how that's part of the culture of evangelicalism and especially if you have a clear before and after picture of what your life looked like. Yeah, that would be, that would fall under the activism quadrilateral in the quadrilateral mm. so that okay. your personal tell like your personal story or telling your story or mm-hmm. testimony night, that is an activity or an activism of the evangelical uh, church, evangelical movement. Um, but yeah, so that personal idea What's interesting is like it can be on both spectrums that you have the idea of that that choice was made for you a long time ago with Calvinism or mm-hmm. you have to make that choice and God doesn't know everything like Pelagian or open theism. Um, and so really it's just it all comes down to that conversionary moment um, and there's lots of debate within that but you have to have a conversion of some sort. Then you have biblicism or biblicentrism, um, that the Bible is the reference for all life. It's the basic instruction before leaving earth. Mm -hmm. It's, um, and so this codex, the, the, the book that we have guides our authority. It guides our, our movements. It guides our, our actions. Um, but there's there's lots of a play with what an evangelical can think about scripture. And so it's when you enter into fundamentalism that you get words like infallibility or the inerrancy. Those are fundamentalist mm-hmm. ideas 
not evangelical ideas, but we have evangelicalism has adopted fundamentalist goals and because it gives them the people speaking it more authority to speak when we when we have a book that is absolute truth that we can bank on then we have we have the power and authority to issue anything and so even though some movements and evangelicals don't believe in inerrancy or that the scriptures without error or that is it is completely inspired by god there is still the view that the bible is is the reference book of our faith any thoughts on that one i think it goes Good job. from shreya go ahead what were you going to say <laughs> No, just good job. I think Jake got it. <laughs> oh, thanks. I, I was just gonna, gonna say just to be clear, <clears throat> the thing with Christianity is Christianity. Uh, if you just think about the English word Christianity, means little Christ in its form. Uh, Christian means little Christ, and Christianity in the English form definitely is a translated word that has Christ. So, so Christianity is about a person and Christianity is about following a person in Jesus. So whenever you have other things like the tenets, propositions, um, doctrines that kind of creep in, you have this idea then creeps in of Jesus and then a plus of some kind. So what is that plus? And that's where I want to just first distill this um, this conversation about cults, but evangelicalism is is whenever you start adding something to Jesus, that's when you know that you are one hundred percent in trouble when it comes <laughs> to theology. So if you find yourself in a in a group or a philosophy or thinking that is Jesus plus something else. And I, I know preachers that'll come right out and say it. You know, they're not going to say Jesus and Jesus alone. They're going to say Jesus plus repentance, Jesus plus baptism, baptism, Jesus plus these propositions, these 10 propositions of our church. And so when you see like in a church or whatever, we believe is that we believe in Christ or like what what are like the all the other things and that's where where the worship of the bible comes mm -hmm. into play that that the that the faith moves off of uh the person of christ and onto the book written about the person of christ i think to so be more clear illumination like that illumination doctrine yeah. comes into play to be more clear it's bible like the worship of our interpretation of it right. yeah yeah yeah, that's that, that gets that's how that's how that evolves is now we yeah. start worshiping a book and then we start worshiping our interpretation of the book because i think the people that worship the book really don't want to know what's in that book right and they sure don't act like it anyways um <laughs> crucicentrism uh cruci is the cross right and so mm. it's cry the cross centric and all that means is atonement it's, it's the act of Christ that we are at one and then with God. And so there are many different theories of atonement 
substitutionary atonement is a big nasty one that's not true and then you have different ones like uh christus victor or uh ransom or all these there's so many different types of atonement theories um just that there was something that happened on the cross and then you have activism which is the expression of of your faith or it's like giving testimony or evangelizing on the street corner it could be serving or or feeding or clothing or there's lots of different ways that activism can be interpreted but it is off the james model that faith without deeds is dead and so there is some sort of action on faith and so those are the four tenets of evangelicalism conversionism that personal experience of conversion biblicism biblicism the idea that the bible is the authority uh christocentrism is the idea of atonement or the act of christ dying did something and then also activism that we had to do something now with it so let's talk about history because i think yeah. that history definitely plays into that because that's like the conclusion to the story kind of like what we've mm -hmm. done with those tenants i mean honestly those tenants are not like evil they're not they're not bad. bad they're not bad it's what we've done with them and how we've corrupted them i think is what is bad and that's why I'm, that's why i started out by saying evangelicalism in and of itself when you just look at the i guess the the faith tribe of evangelicalism uh it doesn't seem on the surface bad it's just when the practice is put in place um, you get as far as certain people groups like the activism or um, evangelism piece. There are people groups um, that have gone out on the streets and have tackled people in the streets, drugged them into buildings to preach the gospel at them. And so there's militant evangelical groups that have taken these tenants like to an extreme. Uh, we can take any tenant to an extreme to the point that we're literally issuing violence on another person to preach them the gospel, which is completely the antithesis of what, you know, Jesus, who, who Jesus was. So, so the tenants in and of themselves, it's just the person, people corruption that comes around it. I think Back. that's that's go ahead. That's why we're talking about the mishmashing of fundamentalism into right. evangelicalism. Right. That's this is where we get into trouble. I think those four tenets, they're not harming anyone, right? No. But it's when we start to get into fundamentalism, which evangelicals can be and most and I would say predominantly are fundamentalists now. Right or they have fundamentalist nuance to them that they, they, they're not even seeing that that is a fundamentalist idea. We're going to talk about that, how, how that uh, emerges. Um, um, yeah. I'm a reference and correct me if I'm wrong, but when I was 
looking things up before we started. Uh, like those four tenets came from um, a historian writing in 1989. Did so, you catch that? Did you catch that, Kevin? I just want to provide that as we're about even necessarily solidified. Yeah, so so those tenants came out of conferences um, and worldwide mission meetings mm -hmm. uh, that were, you know, organized to come up with in the 70s, I think it was, uh, to have these tenants of... Okay. To bring... Cons so these tenants, these new tenants of evangelicalism, because we're going to talk about the history, those are actually new tenants of evangelicalism. They were right. to standardize right. Christianity across the international stage, especially going into what they call the 1040 window. In the 1040 window, longitude, latitude of 1040, that was the most unchurched people group in all of the world. The most untranslated Bibles, the most or languages of the Bible, the most, the most, the most, the most. It hit all the check boxes of non-Christian. And so when they were discussing on the world stage with big leaders of Christian of evangelical Christianity that they came up with the this standardized um, system. Well, let's go into uh, let's go into some history because I think history is really important uh, when talking about the emergence of a philosophy or, or what have you. And we're going to go right back into colonial days where the 13 colonies, I think Georgia was the last, thir the 13th colony, look that up. Um, can't remember right now, but anyway, my high school history. But the the like if you go into places like just south of D.C., you'll go to a place called Colonial Williamsburg or if you just go to Old Town Boston. And if you're ever walking through Old Town Boston, people lived in really close quarters in a really small area. And that area, of course, expanded. But it was very easy to, I, I would say, indoctrinate or to adopt as a people philosophies, ideas, faiths, propositions of those faiths, evolution of those faiths, new ideas of those faiths, it would have been very much more easy to preach or to teach an entire people or, hey, let's tell our neighbors about this because the close quarters or the tight quarters of just community were there. Uh, if you go to Colonial Williamsburg, you'll see, you know, you're just walking up and down the streets and all you need is like a Bible and a, you don't even need a megaphone. You just start knocking on the doors and you're done by the end of the day and you hit everybody with your new doctrine. So I would say that to give people a little break and grace that, that, that different things, of course, in a new England a new set of colonies, the new colonies or the, the colony era, um, definitely, definitely were a rebellion, a, you know, pulling away. They didn't want the king. They didn't want, you know, this hierarchy system. They didn't want the church as, as they knew it. Uh, they wanted to break away. And so new ideas and new thoughts would have been, I mean, just my opinion probably would have been easily adopted. So so if you look at 
right there in the 1700s where the the colonies are are in in there just psychology or breaking away just because of the ocean breaking away from europe uh you'll see there's a split in thinking and so right there in the 1700s we see the birth of evangelicalism so that birth of evangelicalism had signature people that we, you know, you pull some of these books behind me, written by them. Uh, their theology is just wrapped up in all those books. And so that's that's basically the beginning of this modern evangelicalism that we that we see here in the States. If you advance forward to the 1860 1860s. You advance forward to slavery and the 13th Amendment and the abolition of slavery. There's definitely like a split in the church. So you have the South and the North. That's the just the just what they termed. Then you would see in the South like a pro-slavery in the church, and you would see in the North a anti-slavery or abolition movement um, in the North. So so the churches were adopting these cultural ideas. The church was, and the church was promoting it, and the church was angry about it, and the church was adopting it. So religion was very integrated into society as they knew it back um, in those days. You'll see advancing forward then, um, you know, that's, well, before we advance forward, you, you see a very uh, evangelical attachment to the Anglo-Saxon person. You see the attachment to the, especially uh, the white person, just in, you know, skin color versus the attachment to uh, people of color. So, so right at that moment in history, in the mid 1800s there is definitely a divide when it comes to the philosophy and the thinking of religion christianity evangelicalism of that day i mean Advanced, if, you at, before, if you look at the Protestant reformation yeah it was started by what well, luther german anglo-saxon swingley melanchthon uh, melanchthon but swingleyism yeah. is swedish Right, Swiss. Right, Swiss. Um, yeah, Sweden, Swiss. And so, like the the heart of the of the Reformation is a is a very Anglo-Saxon white, right, right. Movement. And that that's in this evangel the great Protestant experiment was definitely attached to people that were prosperous and so who is prosperous as a, a, a enslaved black person or a free white person and so obviously people in their in their skewed sick thinking attached christianity evangelicalism well of course if you are white then you are blessed those, that kind of thinking. So there's this great divide, which is incredibly heartbreaking, I would say, to 
attach a, a Christian faith movement of any kind to a people group of any kind. Um, and that people group is more blessed because you look at just the, how God uses people, who God uses, and just the whole theme of scripture that the other on the margins will be used greater and blessing and salvation comes through the margins. And so I, I just, however, this philosophy of uh, religion emerged, it just has, it just ro rolls around oppression, pride, um, white supremacy. There's just lots of real dark, dark philosophies around, uh, around the emergence of this evangelical modern thinking. Uh, the suffrage movement, I would say, is another key uh, marker of oppression of women versus the non-oppression of women. And that decision that the church was having to make, attaching itself eventually to the white male. And so, so the attachment of religion to that which was most prosperous in the in the uh in the world or in the community was the was the thinking the great depression of course on the international stage would have put people in a moment of scarcity in our history there would have been a moment of clamoring and scarcity and the movement from agrarian lifestyle to more of a um, more of an urban uh, factory worker, especially in the emergence of World War II. So now we have the rebuild era of World War II. I forgot to talk about the Gilded Age, the, the reconstruction era after slavery, where this is where you have Savannah, Georgia, and all of this emergence of, of just communities building bigger and bigger and bigger uh, rebuilding after that time. But now, now post now world war two, we have a lot of patriotism um, coming home and that style of nationalism and then Christian nationalism, like we talked about uh, last, last week, 1954 mm -hmm. is, Brown versus the Board of Education in the beginning of the Civil Rights Movement. Go ahead, Shreya. Um, in the in the 40s, that's also when Billy Graham got his start. Um, and that's a pretty yeah. pivotal thing in the history mm -hmm. of evangelicalism, um, as well as um, technology, like mass media technologies, radio, like television radio, and radio. Yeah. So Billy mm -hmm. Sunday was kind of the pre-Billy Graham. Billy Sunday had mm -hmm. the tent revivals and then radio communication, eventually television and such, but mass communication then became a thing and Billy Graham was able to reach people through mass communication. So this message of evangelicalism begins to uh, be populated or, or, or perpetuated um, at a more massive uh, level. Uh, advance. Thank you for that, Sherry. That's an important piece that I that I glossed over. Uh, 1954 Brown versus the Board of Education and that ruling and desegregation, civil rights era, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, the the um, marches um, on Washington, 
on the streets, uh, violence being issued uh, to um, an oppression, oppressive type behavior towards people of color, especially black indigenous people of color. And so, so you, you see the church attaching itself to different cultural ideals. The reason why I bring all this up is it's pretty normal in evangelicalism for evangelicals to attach themselves to social issues of the day. For some reason, mm -hmm. for some reason, evangelicals, this has been a common thread from the very beginning of attaching themselves to social issues that are oppressive to people, different people groups, uh, a gender, or a person of color, or a or an African American person that they have attached themselves and the 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 against them uh, version of attaching themselves to like we are against this idea, uh, yeah. and for that I don't have an answer besides I, the nature of human nature that I'm it better is than what you. makes evangelicals such a powerful voting block though right. and that's going to come into play in the history here pretty soon pretty soon <laughs> next I, I think that this is the I, this is case in point the idea of fundamentalism mishmashing with evangelicalism so if you think is about attaching themselves to a political idea or well, think, about, think about think about this <clears throat> quakerism yes. is by definition evangelical and like one of their main like founding movements right and i know that there's non-evangelical and evangelical quakers i, I get that um mm -hmm. but there there are um they are one of the of the movements that started evangelicalism as a mainstream yes methodists as well um baptists and so like evangelicals huge and across all these different theological uh barriers and so like i think with that there are some denominations within evangelicalism that that do support on the outside those marginalized people groups mm -hmm. so like it's so like uh pennsylvania quakers were one of the main people that groups that that supported the underground railroad mm -hmm. yeah i think it's when and that's probably why quakers are kind of the weird group in the evangelical world that's like <laughs> what is this group they wash feet um right they because, sit in a circle <laughs> and, it, and it's because they attach themselves their activism looks socially progressive to a fundamentalist like say Baptist or Methodist that is socially regressive, if I can say that. Thoughts on that? I think that you're correct that when you are on the social side that is for people there is a threat that that other side of that equation means that you're against us so in the 
as I'm for people, that means that I have to be against me uh, because I'm the one that's been a part of the group that's oppressed those people. For some reason, the, the, the weirdos that are out there that actually are for people, <laughs> right? Uh, they're thought of as weirdos, but they have no problem with saying I've been a part of the problem. And I have no idea why that has not uh, just penetrated through our faith that the humility or the contrite spirit of entering into a challenge saying, how have I been a part of the problem is not a part of the great Protestant experiment. It's always been that those that are prosperous have God's mm -hmm. blessing, therefore I'm right. And I think mm -hmm. that's just probably where, so, so whether it be oppressive, oppressive uh, behavior to women, oppressive behavior to slaves, oppressive behavior to, um, you know, like in the, in the days of like segregation and black people in general, the oppressive behavior towards black people all the way to today, not historically, it's historical and current marginalized people groups. And so as long as we're doing good, we must be right. And I think it's just that at that, at that base, almost like unintelligent, a definitely unemotionally intelligent level. Oh, I have money in the bank, therefore I'm right. I, I just, that just does not make sense to me. But people equate success to correctness. Yeah. And so let's talk about like the adherence of evangelicalism to capitalism. Uh, 100%. In Same order for, thing. Yeah. In order for capitalism to work, there has to be a marginalized and taken from group. Right. Right. And so right. you're willing to assert your rightness in order to, to make sure that you're blessed. Right. Mm -hmm. If I advance forward, so all of, so all of these things that we're talking about do, are not going away. They're being carried forward and they might evolve or transform, but, but, but they're being carried forward in evangelicalism. It's not like, Hey, we're over that now. And we're now new. No, there's nothing new. It's just carried forward. So this is why you see a lot of white nationalism in evangelicalism, or you have white fragility and all these things in evangelicalism, because we've carried forward this, this thinking that, that, well, if I'm, if I'm addressing a problem, that means I have to be wrong. And to be wrong, that means I'm not blessed. To be wrong, that means I'm a problem. Therefore, I, I must be on the wrong side of, of God or something versus just having a contrite spirit. In the 1970s, all the way to 1980, we see a gentleman that emerges that starts the moral majority movement. But simultaneously, in the late 60s, for about 10 years, we had this little group out of California that was Jesus people. And the Jesus people, simultaneously with the moral majority, what I think what happened there is the Jesus people just got old and then moved over to the moral majority. Because the Jesus people were young hippies. They were like, 
these these people like they were all over really and even in europe the jesus people were just this jesus movement that you know in california that group was started by lonnie frisbee and then adopted into chuck smith's calvary chapel so when it got a, like kind of adopted into like the church where they began to form churches then this is where the doctrine of evangelicalism starts to you know push in and and basically indoctrinate uh, i would say these people that had more of a hey jesus is for everybody type of attitude so the jesus movement didn't last very long it probably lasted maximum of 10 years some people think it's ongoing but that movement in and of itself called the jesus movement that only was about a decade old in its purest form so so we move forward then to most Christians and evangelical Christians were more socially progressive because we believe, quote unquote, in trying to at least take care of people, even if they were just, you know, one people group. But like, for example, evangelical pastors all across the United States were on the hotlines to women that had pre that were pregnant that they did not want that woman to go into a a dangerous abortion type practice and so they would be you know advising those women on the hotlines to go to these abortion clinics it was the christians that were doing that so in our in our well i would say that most christians would have said at that era okay is it abortion or is it you know go into a deadly practice of abortion or is it a safe abortion i would say most christians would be socially what we call progressive in that viewpoint but the moral majority emerges and that becomes a pro-life type movement so even ronald reagan and he was the first governor who signed the abortion into legal practice and, and into practice in the state of California, he, in his election, changed his, his speech on that and definitely became anti or pro-life versus pro-choice. So you see Jerry Falwell then basically start the moral majority. Now we have this moral movement then from 1980 forward. So people jumped out of the Carter camp into the Reagan camp, and we moved from socially progressive issues like building houses for, you know, houseless people into now into the moral majority that we are then a purity movement again, or we have this more purity stance, which I would claim that that's where fundamentalism definitely mashes fully and marries evangelicalism you guys can debate me on that but i'm just saying when i see moral majority come into play and we have then basically the jesus movement dies out and we have then the the jerry falwell movement senior senior in this that that marries and then becomes more of a fundamental group jake already mentioned this but i would also say um, before we mention 9-11 and talk about that a little more, I would say that also in the 1970s, you had the emergence of the megachurch movement. So all the way through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you have this, this anything over 1,000 people, then 5,000 people. So you had big stadiums of literally 
big, big buildings of people. And so what happens when you get a big group of people and you got a flashy presentation and a rock star speaker and you have a, well, what they're saying has to be right because we are blessed by God with all of these people. So numbers and numbers of baptisms, numbers of membership, numbers of people involved yeah. in ministry in the they, church. They call in, these they call these cults of personality. <laughs> yes, cults of personality. So that was a good song. Is it a song? Yeah. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> so look it up. It's a good one. Uh so so uh so you have this emergence of mega church that the mega church movement spoke that the more people you had, the more successful you were and the more right you were as well. So you had some super fundamentalist pastors down in California. You had some super fundamentalist pastors like on the East coast and, and such that definitely promoted a fundamental evangelical doctrine and married the two together out of that in the 90s comes the purity movement out of that in the 90s comes the comes the anti well i would say the anti lgbtq movement has been out around for a long time but that being spoken out loud by the church in such a dramatic like vocal angry megaphone radio tv televangelist way um definitely was when technology got into play and mass media got into got into play. So then 9-11, 9-11 happens and all of our United States of America becomes centrally united. We are we have a center point that we're united against one people. And that wasn't a terrorist group. It wasn't, uh, we're united against Al-Qaeda. It became, we were united against Al-Qaeda. But what the sentiment was, is we are united against Muslim people. And so we became anti-Muslim people. Xenophobia then becomes that language of the day. And all that horrible stuff said about, you know, Let's just annihilate these people. Turn the glass. Yeah, like let's annihilate these people. That was a common sentiment in the church. I was so watching. Church preachers and stuff become very xenophobic or other, just other, that's what xenophobia is, but just other phobic. Um, I was watching this stuff. Becomes a thing. Watching this stuff because of, of uh, Israel and Hamas. And... Yeah. Uh, a past president got up on stage and said, "If you're not, if you're not fighting for us, if you're not for the war on terror, then you're a terrorist." And so it was very binary in what in what you could be. You couldn't you couldn't be an objective, um, conscious objector. You had to be completely for it, or you yourself are a terrorist. Right. Well, that was definitely. I mean, I was a preacher then. And I definitely felt all of that sentiment from my friends, from the movement I was a part of, the things that I read, listened to, whatever. There was a lot of anti-Muslim talk from the pulpit, which made evangelicalism just other phobic. 
So every time now you have another group, whoever that other group is, like immigrants. Now we have immigrants. The evangelicals are against immigrants. We're against evangelicals are against, I'm not going to say we, because I wouldn't classify myself as an evangelical anymore, really. Um, but now we are, evangelicals are against LGBTQ+. Evangelicals are against so many people groups that they would claim as others. Uh, the problem with that thinking is if you just read the Bible, um, you will see that God used others all the time. Jesus was an other. So I just am, am blown away again, but not surprised that, uh, that these signature ideas of we are blessed because we have the greatest number. We are blessed because we um, are on the right side of history. We are blessed because we are not like them. Uh, all of that thinking creeps in all the way to 2016. And then we see the great divide of evangelicalism from it seems like every other Christian group that if you weren't for a certain presidential candidate, that you were not American, that you were not Christian American. Let's just be, it, be uh, mm -hmm. honest there. So... Let's talk about how this becomes cult philosophy now. That's all the history. There's lots more that you could add, but that's, you know, the 15-minute uh, digest version. So let's talk about how this becomes cult philosophy. Or what do we see in, the, mm -hmm. in this cult philosophy? Yeah, well, our, our working definition kind of divides cult philosophy into two sections, right? There's the high control parts, and then there's the charismatic leader parts. Right. Um, so if we're looking at the high control parts, um, I think what a lot of us have experienced in evangelicalism is basically the morality police, where we have to constantly police our own thoughts and behaviors, as well as those of others. Um, we're expected to hold each other accountable um, and have those, yeah, difficult conversations where we tell people they're going to hell if they don't shape up. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and that creates a ton of anxiety. It's really difficult to live in because your belonging is predicated on acting exactly the right way all the time. Mm-hmm saying the right things, dressing the right way. That's when we blame the victim of like our, our, what was she wearing? Our evangelical question is what was she wearing to make her mm -hmm. get raped? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think we see, um, high control behavior when we're the only ones who are going to heaven. We're the only ones with the right answer. Um, mm -hmm. and so that makes us, um, insulary. We, we insulate, mm -hmm. we exclude, um, it's about keeping those of us who are right in the fold and keeping those who aren't out. 
even matching that with like a dispensational view of we're going to go and you can just have pandemonium here. Mm. Right. We're mm. right. So we're going to get raptured up and everything else is going to go to hell. Yeah. Um, I think we see that with uh, focus on the family and Dobson um, where you have high control parenting styles. Um, so you can't, you can't disobey. You can't even think about it. Um, but also it teaches children to obey authority without question, whether that's parental authority or godly authority or government authority. Um, so you're just priming people to behave to behave and to belong in these high control groups mm -hmm. um purity culture of the I 90s I, <laughs> like I would, the list goes on right i would say that some of these you know, i read i read all the i was a youth minister youth sponsor mm -hmm. you know person that promoted some of these ideals and some of this purity culture back in the day mm -hmm. and you know if i was honest with it um yeah i didn't really buy into it back then either you know but it was like what we were teaching and what we thought was if we could mm -hmm. get here if this is what we could become then we would be really awesome but the reality is is we never really believed we could become that yeah because hormones are a real thing yeah, but like we could never believe that we could actually become a society like that. That mm. that there was no there was no journey. It was just you would need to be this way. So the you know, best and, we can do is shame and cause trauma to our own kids. Right. Uh, so we you know would promote things like you know don't kiss your spouse until you're married type of thing, um, or don't kiss your you know boyfriend or girlfriend until you're. Right. married or or don't have sex before marriage you know there's statistics out there that you know abstinence is the safest and healthiest choice and we know that that it is the safe and healthiest choice if you don't like but how do we treat people or what are we saying on the journey you know because i think that this probably the safest and healthiest choice is just to go to heaven so, so you know, like, what do we do between now and heaven, right? So, like, how do we act? What do we teach? What do we promote? What do we journey together between now and heaven? And that's that was never talked about. We just talked about this heavenly type kingdom that we were supposed to live like. And that's how the purity culture movement taught is, you know, if you just married yourself to God, then you wouldn't have any more troubles, but yet, okay, what happens between the conference and seeing Jesus face to face, you know, like what, how about those 70 years? So we never really could speak to that. And so, yes, sure. shame, blame, um, mm -hmm. and horribly because evangelicalism of course is attached to the white male right in our history we see how that happens so the in youth mm -hmm. group the pregnant female had to go home she couldn't attend but the white male could attend 
um, or we kicked, you know, the, this couple's getting a divorce. So she has to go to another church because, you know, he's in leadership over here and we're, mm-hmm. we need to, you know, get her in a different place because, you know, they're divorcing and we can't have that publicly seen. So, so we made decisions, did things, promoted things that I think, you know, had lasting. Um, I hope that mm-hmm. some of the people that, you know, were a part of my community, you know, healed and they were able to, you know, overcome certain things. But I think back on what I was going through and what they were going through, and I go, this this didn't apply. These philosophies, theologies, they didn't apply. So, like, mm-hmm. how do you apply something that doesn't apply? And that was the challenge we were in in these movements. You shame. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, you shame and because blame. and we act like it works for everyone else. Why doesn't it work for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think going back to like how, why, and I'll say, I'll say fundamental evangelicals, why it's culty is Mm -hmm. if the church is centered around the personality of the pastor or speaker, Mm -hmm. if, if they can get up and rant and say whatever they want to say, and it is ordained by God. They can be even election deniers, and it is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, they that the church will fall if that speaker stops speaking. That people go mm-hmm. there because of the preaching of the music and the preaching. There has to be more to church than just the music and the preaching, right? And so, if if that is the reason why I think you're attending an evangelical church, I think that you might be, you find yourself in a cult or you have developed, even if, even if the church is not a cult itself, that you're treating it as your cult. Right. That's where cult philosophy mm-hmm. adopted a cult philosophy in your life. Yeah, And so that might not be how the church is even structured or thinks or anything, but you have, taken on that yourself. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, I think if I look, and if I was honest, it probably wasn't until definitely post 9-11, I think when I moved to Mm. Northern Oregon, I got myself in a situation that people, people thought differently than me. You know, I moved from a very like just fundamental mentality to a very progressive mentality. And I started realizing people don't think like me and people think much differently than me. And people use different words than I do. And literally language and like what I liked and disliked people like much different things. (laughs) And, And I realized that that I was in a silo and not able to have conversations outside of that silo. I was just kind of in all my friends were a part of the same silo. I was a part of that silo. We all just kind of belly rubbed one another and just like, didn't have conversations with people that 
thought different. So I think that it's really easy to get trapped in our cult philosophy where it's very comfortable in this place. I, I would say that, and if I could just be so bold, if a group oppresses a people, that definitely is a signature marker of cult behavior. So let's say you're a part of a faith community that does not allow women to do certain things. I would say that that, if you just read the Bible and you look at equality and you pick up some materials that definitely are theologically sound, work through the Greek um, of the New Testament. Uh, I mean, you just have to go back to the resurrection and the women that promoted the gospel and the first women, the first to promote that Jesus raised from the dead uh, was women or women. So, so right there, that, that whole idea that women can't preach is just, you know, falls apart for me right there. But, but I, but if you are a part of a, a system or a church or a community or a faith group of some kind that oppresses, let's say women in some way, in, in not just that way, but in other ways as well, um, that definitely that is cult in its behavior. Not saying that it is a cult. I'm saying that it has cult behavior um, because that is a very accepted version of Christianity right now still. But I would claim that it is cult behavior. Hmm. Yeah, because what happened to the frontier women preachers that went out on the new frontier and started yeah. churches back in the 1800s? So you, you can't tell me that that's always been a part of Christianity as the accepted version. So, remember uh, that comment that I shared last week? Um, when we don't unpack our individualism, we end up creating a cult. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's great. I, I think we're talking around that because I think about how for a lot of churches and, and even for our church, there's this emphasis on building community. Um, but when we're not able to allow for people who are different from us in that community, then we end up with a cult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think evangelicalism like does have more culty forms than non-culty forms. Is culty a word? Like that's an adjective, culty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so so culty, evangelicalism yeah. Yeah, definitely has like like more culty with what you're saying, individualism versus more communalism. So there is a mm -hmm. more communal form of evangelicalism versus individualistic the more individualistic i think or isolated your evangelicalism is i think it's more and more culty uh mm -hmm. there are groups that i know like in northern washington and stuff that you know the women still walk in with their heads covered they have different practices women are not allowed to speak from the stage at all um you know it just becomes very very <laughs> fundamental in 
his behavior against. And that's very individualistic. So you see that that's not all evangelical churches, but then you have that evangelical church and you're like, wow, that is really quite oppressive. Um, Can I interject something? Yeah, please. The idea of truth in evangelicalism is a defining factor of cultic, culty behavior. Yeah, yeah. That that truth and we define that that we have the truth we have we have the knowledge we and usually mm-hmm. that's centered around our interpretation of scripture right um that that becomes worshiped and that's the cultic behavior that our version of of truth because it's no one no one holds truth and people can interpret scripture much differently and there can be very wrong ways interpreted and very right ways interpreted. And what mm-hmm. we've been talking about are, are wrong ways to interpret like like uh, women in ministry and and class of people based upon skin color mm-hmm. or preference of sexuality. That's that's nowhere to be found within scripture. The opposite is. And so we start we start worshiping our own gymnastics of scripture Mm -hmm. and that's where that's where personality becomes more important than anything else and that that's why if you look at evangelical pastors they all look the same oh especially the rock star pastors they all look the same Mm -hmm. and it's it's pretty creepy used to back in the 90s we all had goatees and you know, soul, that, patches. That, soul patches. It was just, it was so weird how we adopt even aesthetically the same mm-hmm. thing. So, so like, even when you go to some mega churches out there, you go to this mega church, you go to another mega church, you know what you're going to get. Like it is the same. So like, like the idea of, of church in and of itself being like the same Superman show that you're watching over and over and over again, that's like universal all over the United States or even internationally. Yeah. You have a certain like methodology, but that methodology, what Jake is saying, like protects, even like distracts from the lies that are being told. Right. So that's the challenge with that is when you got the smoke machines and the drum kit and the rock star pastor and it distracts from, well, oh, that sounds really good. Yeah. I mean, I was listening to one preacher online once that I just sat there and went, you are literally telling lies. Like, like that doesn't even exist in the Bible. How can you say that that exists in the Bible? It does not exist in the Bible. And everyone's just, you know, all about it. Um, maybe a few people weren't all about it, you know, because there's got to be more than me <laughs> listening to this person. Uh, but the Jews used to call that fences around the Torah. You build fences around the Torah. So you're trying to protect your version of the truth. And so either you create hurdles that you have to jump across or you create distractions that pull you away from what that what is being taught or what is being told or all the Jesus pluses that are a part of the system. Yeah. There are some very defining things like, uh, we already said one like dispensationalism, the rapture theory and how Mm -hmm. there are massive movements 
cultic, I think, because either you believe in rapture or you're not a Christian. Oh, yeah. That was said so, by a very, very popular, world-famous pastor. And so when you, when you start to say who is in and who is out based upon mm-hmm. nuance, yeah. um, or, like, or anything, like, yeah. rapture is not in the Bible. Right. Right. So what what they base all of their authority on isn't even even based upon that authority. So their authority is based upon their view of that authority. It's based so that's, on John, John's vision of come up here. Yeah, that's where that's where you start to get into the into the the very culty behavior. So culty, culty, that's a good, that's cultic, our new culty, cultic, cultic, yeah, cultic behavior. So, so I think that, uh, I think that these things begin to galvanize over time. And th- then, you know, universal messages are though cultic universal messages are pretty, um, known today. Like, like many evangelical churches are anti-immigration. Many evangelical churches are like anti-Black Lives Movement. Many evangelical churches are against some welfare and yeah, very common things. Medicare um, and like the the anger against houselessness, pretty universal sentiment amongst a lot of evangelical churches. So, so there are some universal things, but then there are some very, very signature weird like we take all of these kind of philosophies thoughts and ideas and we begin to distill them down into our own version of christianity in evangelicalism and then you see these little groups pop up right and you see this group and you're like wow that is really really quite strange it's about a hundred students that are a part of a school. I'm not going to tell you who created this school and who financially backs this school, but if I said the name, everyone would know. Everyone would know. I don't know one person that wouldn't know this person's name. Evangelical Christian, very popular amongst a lot of people, and probably the two of you could probably repeat some of the things that this person has said over the years of their professional career. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) Yes. So this is the school, right? During the admissions process and hiring process, parents, faculty, and staff are required to comply with the following stipulations. A non-disclosure agreement must be signed, the school's location must be kept secret, and all members of the school community must refrain from publicly discussing the school's existence, practices, and any other non-public details in education. All students and faculty and staff are required to adhere to the school dress code of this certain dress code um, and uniforms designed by the founder of this uh, of this school. Uh, in the history of this school, non-disclosure uh, agreements 
had to be signed to register children. And as of right now, nobody knows from public comment whether this school exists or not. Children, mm -hmm. minors, under the age of 18. Personally, I think that that kind of behavior should be illegal. Uh, for some reason, now, now let's now let's expand this. Okay, so that seems very controlling. High influential, charismatic, narcissistic leader for sure. So, so let's just kind of loosen that a little bit. I mean, how how often do we see certain types of like? similar things like in some of our private school um, ideas or what what the curriculum is taught. I have no idea why it's even legal to teach curriculum that's not scientifically based. Like the Loch Ness Monster is actually in certain sci science textbooks of <clears throat> Proof for private school curriculum. So, so mm -hmm. I just, I just, I just am not not even sure how this is legal, uh, but I guess that it is in I mean, the freedom fun, of fundamental whatever. evangelicalism is an anti-education movement. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, right. I mean, in order to, if you, if you hate the education, public education system, you're going to homeschool your kids. Mm -hmm. Or private school your kids, yeah. Which you probably don't have the education to even homeschool your kids. So good luck with that. <laughs> right. right. And then, or the structure or the discipline to keep them to the packet. And so, and so now they didn't finish their Becca book and right. they live at home at 25. Or whatever. Right. Speaking from experience. The idea is what do you do? You're, you're keeping them away from from knowledge of other people here is the xenophobia right. again. Right. Right. When you can't unpack your individualism, right. you end up creating a cult. But those people would say they are being individuals. <laughs> right. They're trying to educate their kids the right way at home. Like, sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But come on. Well, I would say that with that, Evangelicalism is in its history and it's in its current state in a, in a huge world of hurts and, and trouble. And whether it be hidden scandals or whether it be just weird, like, why are we still teaching this archaic form of inequality? Um, I think that, that it's a, it's a, it's a spectrum of problems and, and, what I see is now, based on our working definition, that evangelicalism in our current day, I'm not talking about 50 years ago or 150 years ago, I'm talking about in our current day, definitely has adopted some things, ideas, ideals, ideologues, whatever you want to call them, things into the faith that have cult ideas and philosophies attached and i just want to send out that be on watch as the bible tells us to be on watch of you know the the wolf that's going to be there um i would say that 
that it's the indoctrination of Jesus plus mm -hmm. that pulls us off. Again, it's Jesus plus that pulls us off of that prize finish line, whatever metaphor you want to use. What is the most important? It's, it's Jesus plus that pulls us away from what is most important in our in our faith. And I hope that we can take some of the things that we learned, because I learned a lot in the pre-work and just talking this out with the two of you. I've learned a lot to thinking about um, back in the day of what I was, you know, had taught and the things that I still struggle holding on to. I'm a work in progress trying to, you know, shed some of these uh, some of these problems, you know, that are still attached to me, like, like, you know, it feels like heavy weights sometimes. But I think that, uh, I think that we need to continually deconstruct and continually shed those things that hold us back and get to the very distilled down elements of our faith. And that's a person, Jesus Christ. And as long as we have that person, Jesus Christ, as the center of what we are, focused on and how Jesus behaved and modeling becoming like that that person of Christ. I think that guess what? The other is loved. The person on the outside is loved. The person that you know doesn't fit the mold is actually loved. The person that is oppressed is brought in and re-energized, re-engaged and lifted up to not being oppressed any longer. It's like the healing. Jesus comes along and heals the person that's blind or the person that can't walk, heals that person so they can re-engage with society. That is truly what that is truly what being a Christian is, is to um, activate our our activism is supposed to be in such a way. And I hope and I pray that for for everyone who um, is listening and for that for myself and the two of you as well. So as new evangelicals that are breaking away from our old systems, uh, thanks both of you for joining and having this discussion. Uh, good night, everybody. Good night. We wanted to do a postscript of some resources that you can look into. And so Sherea, let's do our little book show and tell. We wanna get some good resources in their hands that they can do their own research and reading for just future growth and journeying through this faith uh, together. Go ahead. All right. So up first, we got The Making of Biblical Womanhood by Beth Allison Barr. Subtitle is, How the Subjugation of Women Became Gospel Truth. Up next, we got Pure by Linda K. Klein. This one is unpacking the purity movement um, through the stories and interviews of several women in a small evangelical community. This one, I'm only 30 pages in. Um, it's called One Nation Under God. The subtitle is How Corporate America Invented Christian America. So that's going to be a great um, history of evangelicalism, um, especially as it aligns with capitalism. Right. We got American Apocalypse. I haven't read this one yet, um, but this is looking at how um, our theologies of the end times are going to impact the way we live now. Um, I don't have my physical copy of Jesus and John Wayne. That one's loaned out by uh, Catherine Cobbs Dumez, I believe. 
but that's another really excellent history of the evangelical movement, um, especially in its current form. And then finally, I wanted to recommend another podcast if that's not uh, taboo. Fine. <laughs> uh, I think it was Christianity Today several years ago did um, a short like eight episode series, I think, on the rise and fall of Mars Hill Church in Seattle. And that's a really great case study of how an evangelical church adopts some of these culty um, attributes. Mm. Excellent. And we're going to put those in the show notes or the comments section underneath the social media channel that you're listening to. So look for those references. We'll have links to those books. Thanks so much, Sherea. Uh, let's... Um, Let's look at those, let's research more, and let's journey together on this movement of deconstruction, but we are the constructionists, constructionists, so we want to build something new for our future. Thanks, Shreya, for including that.